Everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. Ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 243 now of the Ron and Don Show, live from the Les Schwab Studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, we're the guys that have gone from radio to real estate, but I tell you what, our broadcasting careers, they've never been better. We've never had more fun. Thanks to the 1 million downloads of the Ron and Don Show. It means a lot to us, you guys. And don't forget, if you want to drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday automatically, how can you do it? Yeah, sign up in, a, in a, your local podcast player, so you're one of choice. If you're on Apple, most of our folks have a, an iPhone. The podcast player is already built in. It's a purple icon. Just hit the uh, little magnifying glass, search Ron and Don Radio, hit subscribe, and it will always be there. You can still listen in your car. Yeah. Hey, coming up on episode 243, is it time to just go out and get vaccinated? I have friends that don't qualify to get vaccinated, but they're going out and getting vaccinated anyway. Also, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. Is he the guy that's behind all the weird tweets right now coming from the, well, the retail no more brick and mortar giant? Unless you go to, I I go over to, what is it called? Village Square? So, U Village. Yeah, U Village. That's Village. Yeah. I go into their brick and mortar store. I all like the their t- brick and mortar store. <laughs> all the time. My son and I are in there buying books all the time. It's so weird because then they're like, yeah, we don't need any cash. You're just your Amazon Prime member. Boom, boom, and you're done. Anyway, let's talk about George Floyd. Let's talk about the trial. It's been going on now for a couple of weeks. And by the time you've heard this, we have now found out some of the, the dazzling details, they say, some of the interesting details about what happened before George Floyd found himself in police custody. We've heard from his girlfriend that said that she had an opioid crisis back in 2017, and so did he. Uh, They both had injuries. They went to see the doctor. They had prescriptions. And as a result of that, she admits that they both have struggled uh, with addiction. We also now know when George Floyd went in the convenience store in Minneapolis last year, it looks like he was going in to buy a banana. He took out a $20 bill. He handed it to the clerk. The clerk looked at it, had never really been trained, uh, but in looking at the $20 bill, he thought it was counterfeit. But he thought that George Floyd was so nice that, well, and he also thought he was high. He said to himself, well, maybe George Floyd doesn't even know that this is counterfeit. So he wasn't going to say anything about it. And George Floyd leaves the store. And then this gentleman thinks, you know, I better tell my manager. So he ends up telling his manager. As a result of that, his manager says, no, no, no. We need to call 911. Need to call the police. So they call 911. They call the police. And Officer Chauvin, who has been a Minneapolis cop or was a Minneapolis cop for 19 years, uh, this particular clerk knew the officer when they showed up. And he says now he wished he would have never said anything to the owner of the convenience store. He wished they would have never called 911. He wished he would have never noticed that that was a $20 counterfeit. And he also, once again, believed if you're going in just to buy a banana, why would you spend $20 counterfeit on just a banana? So nonetheless, then he sat there and he watched everything unfold along with 
everyone else. Here's what's interesting to me. The defense, the defense for this particular officers and officers is saying one of the reasons why they stayed on top of George Floyd for so long was they felt like the crowd around them was beginning to gather, was beginning to get angry. They had taken out their cell phones. They were beginning to say things, that they were a hostile crowd. And as a result of that, that they were just trying to make sure they didn't lose control of the scene. They also said they tried to stick George Floyd in the police cruiser and they couldn't get him in there. Said he's a big man, maybe over six foot tall, over 220 pounds. They're saying that Officer Chauvin, on the other hand, is just 5'9", 160 pounds, was having a hard time controlling him. So that's one of the reasons they put him on the ground. They put him in handcuffs and that's why he stayed on his neck for well over eight and a half minutes. The defense is also saying, hey, this is the way the police do it. When we place people in custody, especially when officers are smaller, people are bigger and we have to control them. Uh, When you think about the crowd though, Ron, I think the crowd had every right to get mad and angry and upset because they felt like they were watching a man being murdered right in front of them. In fact, there was a paramedic that was there, a firefighter, and she was off duty. She offered to step in and Officer Chauvin and the rest of the officers told her to mind her own business and to step out. They told her that she knew better than to get involved with a scene like that. And so she was not invited to come and provide uh, any kind, any kind of care. And so even when the one of the first official paramedics got there that was on duty, they had a hard time getting Officer Chauvin and the other officers off of George Floyd. He finally told them, get off my patient. And when he checked, he said, you know what? My patient was dead. They took him inside the ambulance. They grabbed another officer. They told him to start helping with chest compressions. They tried to bring him back to life, and they could not. And you could tell that this particular paramedic that was on the stand was rather pissed off about the fact that Officer Chauvin was kneeling on a dead man. Anyway, your take on what is happening in the other Minneapolis right now, and it seems like the prosecutors right now... uh, well, it seems like they're presenting a pretty good case. Uh, they are presenting a good case. There, there's wow. I mean, this is a, a real Pandora's box, and so I want to start with one of the first things you brought up because I was guilty of this in the past. We've been on the radio for over two decades, and so there's some well-trod tropes that are being thrown out here in this case. And the first one being, yeah, but he did drugs before, or yeah, maybe he was high, or yeah, look how big he is. The big, scary black guy. Um, And so I just want to establish out of the gate that if you believe in America and what America stands for, the system of law enforcement that I was taught and I believe in says, if you commit a crime, and it doesn't matter what that crime is, that you get due process. That's what our system supposedly is, is built upon. And so it does not matter. I'm talking hypothetically here. It does not matter what the crime is versus uh, being killed on the day that a crime may or may not have been committed. Doesn't matter if you're high or, or sober in terms of your due process rights. None of those things, those are two separate tracks. So if a guy ends up dead and you go, yeah, but he, he used to do drugs. Who cares? Yeah, but he stole, but he had a, tw- a counterfeit $20 bill. Who cares? 
Those are two separate things. The way someone is apprehended and the crime they committed are two separate things, at least in the way I understand law enforcement to be uh, configured in America. The other thing, the way he was treated, when you see the first body cam video and uh, an officer taps on his window, he nearly immediately puts a, draws his weapon and has his hand on his weapon. There are an, a, an army of high middle-aged housewife white people uh, that are on opioids in this country. They are not drawn at gunpoint when they are driving while intoxicated, while they may or may not have stolen something, while they do uh, illegal activity. Uh, the, the way that they are treated is very, very different than the way George Floyd was treated. And they didn't know that he may or may not have been inebriated when they knocked on that window. They just got a call about a, a, a counterfeit $20 bill. And they didn't catch him in the act of doing anything. He was sitting in his rig. So uh, those tropes, I think, need to go away. And that's police always go, I was threatened. Um, this guy was uh, is a big black man, and, and so therefore I drew my gun right away. Uh, that I found appalling, and I think that the, the tide has shifted a little bit in terms of public opinion on those sorts of videos where you can go, okay, let's, say, let's, let's grant all of that, and I don't know it to be true or not. Let's say he did have a drug issue, like a, millions of Americans have had, uh, let's say he may or may not have had a t counterfeit $20 bill. He may not have known it was counterfeit. Well, you know what I'm saying? He, it's possible that, that uh, you or I could have carried a, a counterfeit bill at some point in our lives. I didn't know it was counterfeit. Uh, maybe someone gave me change and now I have a counterfeit 20 in my wallet and I go to use it. Doesn't mean that I produced it or that I willingly know that. It just means I may have used it to buy the banana. So like we're making a lot of assumptions before this guy's even out of the car. Uh, and now when, once you get him out of the car, I'm sorry, go watch the full nine minute and 26 second video and ask yourself with that many police officers around, you're telling me you can't get this guy into a vehicle. Is there some legal reason why you have to stay on that street and you can't take the guy to the police station? I'm unaware of that. If he's under arrest, arrest him. No, I've seen. I, so I'll disagree there. I've I've seen plenty of guys that you can't get in a vehicle because all they have to. So so in in his particular case, if you think that there's an issue where he's high or there's a medical situation, and because because they did call, they did call for an ambulance. So they're they're waiting for the medic to show up, and so the difficulty is is they they did have him in handcuffs. And then you're and then you're kneeling on his uh, neck. At one point, for, there's three officers there. But you know what? I I I have seen plenty of times and plenty of situations where three officers can't get a guy in a car. I understood. And, 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 and so placing him on the ground so everybody's safe is smart. I will say I will say this though: is Officer Chauvin had his sunglasses cocked up on his head. I wear my sunglasses sometimes cocked up on my head. You have to be really careful because they fall off all the time, and then you end up breaking lenses and everything. In fact, I have two different pairs of sunglasses I've recently destroyed because I have them cocked up on my head. We, I was with a client earlier today, and we were walking around their house. I had the sunglasses cocked up on my head. I dropped a piece of paper, and I bent down to pick up the piece of paper, and the sunglasses came, came crashing down. If he really felt like he was in distress— for the full nine minutes, he was stand, he was just standing there and then and then kneeling there with his sunglasses cocked up on his head. 
if you had just been in a fight or you were just so freaked out because you felt like this crowd was coming to attack you, it would be very difficult to sit there and hold your glasses cocked up on your head. He seemed very, very nonchalant through the whole nine minutes, and he did not look like an officer in distress. Plus, he also had his radio that was right there on his shoulder. He never called out and said, officer in distress, or there's a mad mob out here that's about to attack me. Officer Chauvin just seemed very, very bored about the whole thing. Yeah, I, I do. I will stand by my statement of of nine minutes is a very long time. I bet this segment is not nine minutes long yet that we've been talking about this. It's actually nine minutes and six seconds right so now. So it's about as long as we've been doing this show so far, you're telling me that six police officers can't apprehend one guy? You know, he was apprehended. You had him on the ground. I, I don't think... I don't, I don't think every person belongs in a police car because when you get in a police car, that's when you start kicking out windows. That's when you start kicking out seats. That's when you can take your head and start banging it against the window and causing self-harm. Was there so something I don't think George the safest was- place, I don't think the safest place in the world for somebody that is tripped out on drugs is in a police car. Well, we don't know if he's tripped out on drugs. We, we now know he's tripped out on drugs. Did yes. You, did there you was, see there his, was fentanyl in his system. Did we know you that. see behavior from him that would, you would have thought he was going to be kicking out car windows? Ron, I'm just saying you need to give police a little credit here. We, we, we're not, we, Taking someone and sticking them, and I, I dated a state trooper for years. One of the hardest things to do when somebody doesn't want to get in a car is getting them in a car. That's one of the hardest things to do, I promise you. I heard story after story after story about trying to get someone in a car. It, it can be very, very difficult to do. And adding more police officers to the, to the situation like they did, they had four officers there, that's not always helpful either. And it is true. If somebody is freaked out on drugs or PCP, they can be as strong as those four or five officers. Doesn't matter whether they're white, black, green, or indifferent. So just thinking, because you said before, I don't know if he was handcuffs or he was in handcuffs or not. He was in handcuffs. You know, who finally took the handcuffs off. It was the paramedic once they got him in the rig, and he's like, "Take the damn handcuffs off. We have a dead guy here." So yeah, I, I th- this trial is interesting, though. I mean, you see these eyewitnesses. The defense is is talking to the people that are on the street and trying to frame them up as, "Well, you were super angry," and it's like, "Yeah, that guy's being killed in front right. of me. Yeah. I was angry. You're very agitated. I was very agitated. You're right. You you called a cop the f word. I did because right. he's." His knee is in the back of a guy's neck. Because so, he was being an F-word. <laughs> right. Because, yeah. So, yes. So, like, you're using these. I guess the thing that I find distasteful, and I don't know all the, the training procedures, is we're they're relying on these latent things that have always been in play. That, oh, the angry black mob is yelling the F-word. It's like, for cause. Because the guy's dying, and he's saying, I can't breathe. So it's not in the middle of, of the afternoon and nothing's happening. The white firefighter who was there, the female, she, she was very angry and saying angry things too. The dispatch she, lady that yeah. was watching the video calls out. So they were all very angry. Like we're using these well-worn things, the big scary black guy that's too powerful to control. Uh, you know, I need to draw my weapon on him immediately before I've established any facts. 
uh, the, the angry mob crowd is going to riot. Like all of these things prey on this fear of an us versus them, black versus white, whether it's racial or class war or whatever. And, and I, I, I find it distasteful. I think the facts of this story are self-evident when you watch the, the video. Yeah. As you said, you have a nonchalant guy leaning on his neck. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, the, the gentleman who was in the convenience store went over the officer and he was, and he's an officer that he's seen coming in and out of his store and they've called before and he's shown up on other calls. Uh, and he was angry because he said, I think you just killed a man in cold blood. So anyway, <sighs> lighten things up on the other side of this. While some days it's hard to tell, spring is really here. Hey, it's Ron and Don for Les Schwab. I want to tell you about how they can add some safety to your drive, even with the unpredictable springtime weather we get here in the Pacific Northwest. A big part of facing the springtime downpours and spikes in temperature is proper maintenance. Don't worry. The pros at Les Schwab are here to help your vehicle get springtime ready, especially when it comes to your safety. Stop by, they'll do a free visual brake inspection, plus they'll perform a free alignment check to ensure all your wheels are headed in the same safe direction. That's free! If it's something you should get checked every year anyway, especially with the potholes and bumps that come with winter and springtime driving. If your tires need to get replaced or you're removing winter tires for the season, you can save some money during the Les Schwab Spring Tire Sale. Right now, you can save up to $200 when you bundle select tire, wheels, and brakes. It's one of the biggest sales of the year. Schedule your next visit at LesSchwab.com or stop by and check out the Schwab Spring Tire Sale for yourself. Les Schwab, we're doing the right thing matters. It's just like talking to a longtime friend. They are so fun and they were so fun to work with. When it comes to your real estate journey, you need an expert team and a playbook. The Ron and Don Playbook. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. I think the expertise provided by Ron and Don is really something I haven't seen before. I've bought probably a half a dozen properties over my lifetime. So I was just so impressed at how all in they were from the very beginning. They knew what we were going to need to do in order to get the house that I wanted. And they were absolutely committed to making that happen for me. So responsive. And I would hear from them if they needed something for me immediately. If I called them, they would answer. They were super responsive. Uh, Don was a bit of a magician, being that like there was things that nobody knew the answers to. It was remarkable, and I would get the call, hey, I was able to get the plans, the plans that if we don't get, we don't buy this house. And I get the call, and there's four boxes of plans. It was amazing. The sale price was 55K over ask, and that just blew us away. We were absolutely ecstatic. Thanks to their skill to negotiate, we are so grateful and so happy and so pleased. They were a thousand percent instrumental in making this deal happen and making sure we closed on time and that I was able to get into my dream condo. I'm just absolutely thrilled. I mean, I knew that this was going to be hard to find and we did it so quickly and got just the perfect house in exactly where I needed it to be at a price that I feel really good about. So I could not be happier with my experience. I really felt like I could, could trust them. They made some promises on some things mm -hmm. that, and they delivered on it with no questions mm -hmm. asked, you know, and they came through. I absolutely recommend Ron and Don for your real estate transactions or just a cup of coffee and a sit down. Ready to get in the game? Get your playbook and schedule your Ron and Don sit down now at ronanddonsitdown.com. 
Thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. I'm G-Force O'Neill, the real brains of this operation. Hey, Dad, can we go get a sandwich? All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 243, once again, live from the Les Schwab Studios. And we love the relationship that we have with Les Schwab. Anyway, by the time you're listening to this in some states, including Washington State, in fact, uh, coming up April 15th, people that are 16 years or older are supposed to be able to go out and get signed up. And it doesn't mean on April 16th that you'll be able to get vaccinated. But it does mean that you'll get on a list somewhere. So one of my friends who doesn't meet any of the criteria to get vaccinated uh, called me the other day and he sent me to this website and he said, just go to this website, just make this phone call. And then someone super, someone super secretive is going to call you and then they're going to tell you to show up in Monroe out at a Walmart or somewhere out in Stanley. And you can go ahead and, and get your shot because they said in a lot of these areas that are out in the country – where people are Trumpers, there's a lot of Trumpers that don't believe in the vaccination. And as a result of that, uh, if you get out of the urban areas, because a lot of people here in Seattle do believe in the vaccination, you can find shots there that are going unused. And so and so that's what he did. And he didn't feel bad about it. Uh, I know other people that don't meet the criteria that got vaccinated months ago. I know people that 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 meet the criteria and I encourage them. I said, even though you're not 60, 65, you meet the criteria, go and get vaccinated. So I'm sitting here now. I'm still not vaccinated. I don't meet the criteria in Washington state to get vaccinated. And yet it seems like everybody around me is vaccinated. Uh, And in some states where they're about to lower the age and they've already done that in New Mexico, where my mom is, I've seen a lot of my high school friends. They're already vaccinated. What is your thought on herd immunity? What is your thought, Ron, on vaccination? And what is your thought about states just saying, you know what we're going to do? We the, the vaccine is coming. We should at least provide people the opportunity now to go ahead and make an appointment. So, so in Washington State, even though you may not get vaccinated on April 15th, you get, may get vaccinated on May 3rd. It, 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 at least you're in line. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts are do with it what you can when you can, because we, this has just been so screwed up from the, from the jump that I don't blame anyone uh, for trying to get a vaccine in, in this regard. We, we had a pandemic response team in Washington, DC during the Obama administration, and it was dismantled. Everybody was fired. And, and you know, there's famous video of people like Bill Gates years ago saying the biggest threat we have right now is an airborne pandemic. And uh, that's what the science is saying. And so in response to that, uh, the previous, uh, you know, Obama administration, they had this pandemic response unit and they would go out and study bat caves and they would study guano and they would start, you know, work with the CDC to start stockpiling different uh, virus strains and all this sort of stuff. And that was dismantled, put on the shelf. And it's like, we don't need that anymore. There were 54 people that worked uh on all that policy 54 people that were whacked and fired and so never rehired there was a game plan then there wasn't a game plan and then the worst case scenario happened and we were very flat-footed as a country and went through all the politics of the last election and it became politicized and weaponized uh and bumper stickers everywhere and all this stuff and so at the change of power where we had a, a riot a mob that tried to t- turn over the election all of this COVID stuff was 
it wasn't even on the back burner. It was taken off of the range. So it wasn't on the back burner, wasn't on the front burner, wasn't in the warming drawer. It was just out there running rampant. And so we sort of had to change, like come up with the plan on the fly. And that's, that's what's happened. So had there been like a well-organized plan, like we saw in some other countries, then I would be much more hard line on everybody, you know, take your turn. Uh, you'll sort of know when your date is going to be and let's, you know, do things in an orderly process. It's been a free for all in America. And then the, the previous administration handed things over to the states. So you have states like Texas going, we're done. States like Florida, spring break, come on. And then states like Washington going, hey, we're still in lockdown and we're going to. So like it, it's ran the gamut. So because of that, um, I don't have any judgment against someone that's like, I'm, I, I see an opportunity. I've taken it. You and I have a mutual friend whose mother works at a pharmacy and she called her daughters and said, Hey, we're getting a shipment tomorrow. There's probably going to be extra doses. Now you're not going to be at the front of the line, but show up at the end of the day. And if you get, if there's extra doses, you can get vaccinated. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't because the system has been incredibly messed up. And I I went out and signed up on the website. So it was super vague, no specificity. My mom had to go through a lottery system. She's in her 80s down in Florida. A lottery system. It was like Ticketmaster. Wow. It's like she's trying to get concert tickets. It's like it's horrible. And, and, and she finally got it, mm. had to drive to the next town over mm. and go to a grocery store. She got it at the Kroger, or is it Kroger's? She got it, no, Publix. She got it at the Publix grocery store. Wow. So it's like, okay, well, if that's the system we've got, then go, if you're stepping in front of an 80-year-old, then you're a bad human being. But if it's like, hey, there's 25 extra doses at the Walgreens, and I'm going to go down there and post up and see if I can get one. I don't have a problem with that yeah. at all. They said early on, uh, 13 to 18% of Americans said that they weren't going to get vaccinated. They say that that has slid down maybe to about 9%. Where do we need to be on herd immunity? How does that work? I've heard it's in the, in the, uh, the lowest threshold is 60%, but they prefer upwards of 75 to 80%. Yeah. No. And even there, there's a story of like even people that, you know, in Washington State, there's a hundred uh, cases of people that are fully vaccinated that still got COVID, which is within the statistical norm. Like it's not a force field. This isn't a superhero movie where you know a, 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 an orb of green light surrounds you and nothing can penetrate it. That's still you know they say it's ninety five percent effective. So that means that five percent of the people can still get COVID. Yeah, this from my mom who's been locked up in her house for, for over a year and even knows she's been vaccinated. Now I will call her and I'm like, well, what are you, what are you doing with your freedom? And, and she hasn't known what to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, cause you're, you're just used to being home. And, and I'm like, mom, why don't you come up here? And, and I said, I'll be vaccinated soon. Why don't, why don't you come up here to Washington state and come see us? I haven't, I haven't seen her now in a year and a half. Right. So, Last time I saw her would have been a, a Thanksgiving a year and a half ago. So this was a really exciting message that I got from my mom today. She said, hi, Diane called this morning. And Diane is one of her girlfriends that she grew up with uh, going all the way back to elementary school. She said, Diane called this morning and invited me to go on a trip to the East Coast to visit her daughter and see the sights. 
She lives in Connecticut. I would fly to Milwaukee, then off on our trip. I would try to visit my sister also, who is uh, in hospice care right now. And she says, uh, anyway, I would leave May 5th and come home on the 22nd. Any objections? And I wrote back to my mom, mother, go, 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 go. Enjoy your newfound freedom and enjoy these minutes and moments. And I think all of us will cherish the time that we have left spinning around on this planet. And I think as society begins to open up again, I hope we remember uh, the things that we've learned about ourselves and about other humans and the people around us. Because sometimes we'll look back and we'll just, you know, we have these images of the Capitol Hill riots, for instance. That was hundreds, maybe thousands of people, but millions of people around this country and billions of people around the world have been good people and good folks and good citizens. And they've been very helpful to one another. We have looked out for each other and we will continue to do so as things open up and maybe even as we go back to normal. And in some ways, I hope we never go back to normal. I hope we value our lives and we value each other just a little bit more. We'll see you on the other side of this. Let's get it done in 2021 with Ron and Don. All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 243. And as you just heard, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. So if you're trying to get in touch with us, you want the buyer's playbook or the seller's playbook, what do you do? Yeah, you can email me, ron at windermere.com, or just go to ronanddonsitdown.com and you can do an instant free download. Uh, we did a sit down the other day where uh, the person had printed it out, had it right in front of them, uh, had some questions off of the, the playbook. And it, it really was helpful because you can sort of get the same language, some of the same concepts. And now we're going to be listing their home yeah it is historic times you guys it is historic times right now we just sold homes bam 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 just we just sold four homes that we listed and they all went over and they all sold right within the wedge of the offer review date which is typically five to six days so getting ready to bring a lot more homes on and if we can help you if you're on the buyer's side or the seller's side just reach out to ron ron at windermere.com Jeff Bezos in the news. Uh, <laughs> no one has made more money than Jeff Bezos has made, especially, specifically in the last year. And it's interesting as you look around our neighborhoods now, it's crazy. You will see two, three, sometimes four Amazon vans on the same drive through your neighborhood, maybe on the way to the grocery store. And... I you see a lot of these delivery drivers now and they're trying to wear more reflective gear. Uh, I try to jump out sometimes and give them some direction and some encouragement. I see a lot of you have done that for a lot of the delivery drivers leaving snacks uh, out for them. I try to tip these men and women because they really have been on the uh, on the front lines. But I think we also have to remember as these vans drive around our neighborhoods, it means the death of a lot of brick and mortar restaurants and businesses and stores that are never coming back. And for a lot of us, I think we look and say, oh, that restaurant closed, but you know they'll open up in the next six months or a year or whatever that is. That's not true. It's just not true. Jeff Bezos in the news for two reasons. Number one, they say that he is behind some of the tweets now 
that are going out from from Amazon. And I think a lot of us have learned, and guys like him learned how powerful a tweet storm can be because we saw what the former president was able to do with that. And now what he's able, like, like, like how is the former president going to be able to launch another political career without the ability to tweet? And my understanding is he's working on that right now, working on another uh, platform. But back to Jeff Bezos. My understanding is he's been very, very upset. In fact, look who's walking by right now with the box. See that? Hey, Jeff. As I'm talking about Amazon, it's uh, an Amazon worker walking up to my neighbor's house, getting ready to leave a box, just pulled up in a van. And this is happening uh, all over the world today. Uh, The thoughts are that he's really pissed off and mad that there is a lot of information out there about how uh, unsettling the news is when it comes to the way that Amazon workers are treated. We've heard about them working in in factories, peeing in jars, peeing in cups, overwork, underpaid, no health care. And now Amazon is is tweeting out and beating their chest and saying, hey, we don't think people would be working here uh, if he had to pee in a cup. Uh, they wouldn't be working here if they didn't have great health care. They wouldn't be working here if they didn't like it. They wouldn't be working here if we didn't take great care of them. And so a lot of the tweets that we're seeing, they say originated uh, from his desk. So what are your thoughts about Jeff Bezos uh, defending this company which has really had a worldwide impact during this pandemic. Yeah, this is an interesting story and for me specifically because I these latest things have forced me to tweak beliefs that I've held for a long, long time. And so for many, many years, uh, when you and I, and I would talk about stuff like this, my position always was uh, if you invent something new, and you're able to have that thing launch and then a public a company goes public, then you're, you deserve to get the wealth that you get, even if it's billions of dollars. That was always my position. And so now it's a little more nuanced because I've come to realize that it's not a level playing field. And so while Jeff Bezos, he is the one that came up with the, the idea. He, he's the one that built Amazon with, with other people, of course. Um, and so he took that company public and they, they got this, the stock and he became the world's wealthiest man. So on, on that, on the one level, I still believe in a version of that. However, now it's, it's, I'm a more prone to look at these workers and what Bezos is really doing is saying, I don't want unions. I don't want to unionize the Amazon workforce. Cause that's gonna be bad for our bottom line. Uh, and probably bad for his bottom line. And so I, I look at these workers and go, okay, if you're part of the biggest, one of the biggest companies in the world, should you not share in the wealth? And so right now, only the white collar people get to share in the, in the wealth. And then the blue collar people don't. And so if you looked at gender and ethnicity and age group and education level and all of those metrics, what, how do you think it skews without me having to tell you, how do you think it skews? From, you know, a corner office down here in South Lake Union versus a warehouse somewhere outside of Oklahoma City. Like, how do you think those things skew? And so my research on this is that what they started with is we're going to do this prime membership. You're going to get your stuff in two days. That is sacrosanct. That's written in stone. We're going to do whatever we need to do to fulfill that promise. 
Because if we can fulfill that promise, we are unstoppable. And it's hard to remember back, but there was a time not very long ago when, Don, if you ordered a light fixture, it might be three weeks before you see that. And there was nothing you could do about it. You would just go, okay, it'll get here when it gets here. There's no way to track it. You just, it showed up when it showed up. And so that was the game changer. So Bezos and company was like, we need to be so efficient that everybody's package is treated like a VIP. Everybody that paid that 99 bucks a year to be a prime member, you get your stuff in two days. So what does that mean in reality? Well, it means that they have to quantize how many packages they're sending out every hour. And so then someone needs to go, all right, in this warehouse, we're sending out this many packages. How many employees does that mean? How many people are in the warehouse? How many packages do they need to send out per hour? So you have some buddy probably down here in South Lake Union figuring that out. Each person needs to do this many packages per hour for us to fulfill that promise. And so to that end, they made these little devices that you you and I are working at the warehouse. We have a little like a pager type of thing. And it says, you need to do 27 packages this hour, whatever it is. And so it says, go pick up the, go pick up this book that Don O'Neill wants in Seattle. It's on aisle three, shelf two. So you go over there, aisle three, shelf two, you pick up the book, you put it in the thing. And then your machine goes beep. All right, Ron wants this video game. That's on aisle 10, bay nine. You have a minute and 26 seconds to get there. That's what people are pushing back against. Because when you're that worker, some days you're like, I don't have the energy to get over there in one minute and 26 seconds. But if you know that in the back of your mind, if I don't get that thing in one minute and 26 seconds, then I'm going to miss the next one. And now I don't hit my hour and then I don't make my day. And so now I get called into my boss's office and they're going to go, hey, you were supposed to do 183 packages yesterday and you only did 170 packages. I, I, I could get that package in 39 seconds. You could. I'm very competitive. You are very competitive. And yeah. so, but you do that day in and day Straight out, point. eight hours a day. Yeah. And these workers are going, hey, if Bezos is making billions of dollars, yeah. how's about I get the number of packages I can get and that's good enough for today? All right. So here, here, here's one, one follow-up in, in two minutes on this. Amazon is now saying that in the fall that all their white-collar workers, for the most part, are coming back to office spaces. And you think about that in Seattle, they have spent so much money on office spaces and they don't rent the buildings. They own the buildings, right? And you try to sell some of these buildings right now, who are you going to sell them to? You'd have to sell them to another Amazon out there, which we know there's a company working on that. And so they want this office space to be used. And there's a lot of pushback from Amazon workers going, ah, I don't got. I don't. I don't have to go to an office if I work for Facebook. I don't have to go for an office if I work for Twitter. Why do I have to go to an office? Feels kind of controlling to me. At the same time, if you're one of those neighborhood businesses, does this get a guy like Tom Douglas to come back, resign those leases, and say, "Hey, when the Amazon workers come back, the taco trucks will be back, my brick and mortar restaurants will be back." Isn't this good for business? Isn't isn't this weird? We're kind of thinking. Amazon coming back to the offices, even though those workers may not like it, it might be good for some of those brick-and-mortar stores uh, where these office spaces are. Not only good for the brick-and-mortar, good for human beings. Human beings are not evolved to sit in front of a computer all day by yourself. 
and, and never interact. You and I, I think, take for granted. We're, we're a, a two-person business. And so we, we meet with each other. We get to see each other. We interact with each other. And so if, if, if I was just doing this by myself, it would be way more depressing and less successful to just be doing it solo. So I think Amazon's right on this one. You get people into an office. Uh, you do get to collaborate. You do get to walk down the hall and say, man, I was thinking, so I heard Ron talking about this factory thing. What if we did this? What if we organize it that way? And you can go down the hall, pop into someone's office, uh, shoot the idea off of them. And like, that's how collaboration and innovation works, not in a vacuum somewhere. So I think they're right on this. Yeah. I have to say in South Lake Union, right before the pandemic started, there were a lot of restaurants down down there that thought Amazon's here. We're going to go ahead and build and we're going to pop this thing and there's going to be nightlife and everything else. And there wasn't. And for restaurants to make it, they need to have a lunch crowd, but they also need to have a dinner crowd. And in some cases, kind of an after-hours crowd, too. That was just beginning to happen. That was just beginning to – we were seeing the fruition of that. And it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for that to come back, right? So anyway, I'm rooting for it. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for rooting for us, for giving us great lies, for allowing us to be your broadcasters – allowing us to be your friends, and also allowing us to be your realtors. It means everything to us. Thank you for that. And we would not be in the places we are in life. Uh, I would not have a roof over my head uh, with my little boy, my dog Charlie, if it wasn't for you trusting us. So thank you for that. And we don't take that for granted. All right. Need to get in touch with us. Reach out to Ron. Ron at Windermere.com. I'm Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. And you can also check out our website. It's just ronanddonsitdown.com. You keep your head up. You keep your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time for episode 244. Only on the Ronnie Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. Ha, 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 